Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares encourages the church to celebrate and support each other. Celebrate and say, we should thank God for the good that's happening. We're out of this tough season, and it feels like things are letting up. And over here, there's something good that has happened that has strengthened the church. Celebrate the victories. It's harder to leave a church that's doing a lot of celebration of the good things that are happening. And Luke periodically does that, and here's one here. Celebrate the victories. Celebrate the fortification, the building up of the church. A strong marker of a healthy family is how well they protect and care for each other. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares practical ways the church family can support its members who are standing up for Christ in our hostile culture. I'm Dave Drewey. We're in Acts chapter 9, where Barnabas brings Paul, who had recently been converted to Christianity, to meet his new church family in Jerusalem. Now here's Pastor Mike with the conclusion of a message titled, Saul, A New Family. Acts 9, look again at verse 27. Barnabas took him and brought him before the leaders of the church, declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had, look at this phrase, preached boldly in the name of Jesus. That's a sign that he's a genuine apostle. He's willing to boldly, which if you study that word, it's an idea of this courageous, fearless, like openness. He's not afraid of whoever's there. He's fearless because, much like verse 31 says, he fears the Lord more than he fears his opponents. It's going to get him in trouble and put a target on his back. Nevertheless, he's going to boldly preach, or he did boldly preach up in Damascus. And now Luke says, oh, so he went in and out among the disciples at Jerusalem. The problem solved. And then he says, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now he was doing that in Jerusalem. There's a lot of things you could have said about Paul's preaching in Damascus. And it didn't have to be with such a strong word. I don't want to overstate this, but I mean, it is kind of a, a big compliment to say, he wasn't just sharing the gospel, right? I could say that about someone in my small group, for instance, hey, this guy, yeah, he, he shares his faith at work. That's one way to say it. But to say, oh, fearlessly, courageously, boldly, he's freely and openly talking about Christ. I mean, that's, that's a complimentary thing. And then Luke sits back and goes, ah, that's what Paul was doing. Number three, let's just put it that way, because let's have a church like this, please. Let's honor the courageous. Let's honor them. Number three, honor them. When I serve the Lord, I get thanked for it. Let me give you some scripture for this. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is going to tell a parable about a tax collector and a sinner go up to the temple to pray. But he starts it this way. I'm telling this parable for these people. They trust in themselves that they are righteous and they treat others with contempt. In other words, they're focused on aggrandizing themselves. They're really concerned what everyone thinks of them And therefore, as a necessary component of that, guess what they do? They're always putting other people down. And in the parable, that's what happens. The Pharisee says, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. And you know your Bibles. What happens at the end of that parable? 
Well, it's the guy who can't even look up to pray, who goes home justified. He's in sync and in step with God at the end of the time at church. And the other guy, not so much. Why? Because he's got the wrong view of himself. Pride, as we've talked about in this series already, is going to derail so many things in your Christian life. And here's one expression of righteousness that's going to be damned up. It's going to be plugged up if you have it. And that is, you're going to look at your life and say, I never praise anyone. I don't like to do it. I don't feel right about it. I don't want to blow their head up. I don't want, listen, it's not your job to keep people in your small group humble. That's not your job. Your job is to praise praiseworthy things. Your job is to honor honorable things. Your job is to say when someone boldly proclaims the gospel, they boldly proclaim the gospel. This is a complimentary thing. And some of us aren't as complimentary as we should be. Matter of fact, if we added up the compliments that come out of your mouth that are not manipulation, not flattery, but sincere statements of honor and respect and esteem and thanksgiving and praise to other people, I just wonder what those thermometers would look like over your head. And then I'd say, I'll bet there's a correlation for some of you that even your excuse about flattery is really a cover for the fact that I just really want people to see me as the good guy. Ouch. Verse 29. We've preached a lot about this in the book of Acts so far. I get this. He's going to be bold and do the the right thing. He's going to go in and dispute with the Hellenists, and it's going to get a target on his back. We've talked about that. Persecution. Do the right thing, you're going to have pushback. Sometimes it's going to be costly persecution. In this case, that's what's going on. What I want to focus on is when that happens, look at verse 30. Then the brothers learned of this. The church finds out about it. His new church mates there in the church of Jerusalem see what's going on. They learned this and they said, hey, we got, we got to protect you. They brought him down to Caesarea Maritime. They sent him off to Tarsus, hundreds of miles away. And he goes up there and is in safety. Now in a church about loyalty, really, I'm talking about the goodness of the church, the priority of the church, don't run away from your church. You can say, well, they shipped him off. Well, they didn't ship him off because they didn't believe he was a disciple. They shipped him off at this point because they said, you are under threat of execution. We're going to protect you. And at this point, they loved him. They thought, he, this guy is boldly preaching, and Luke is giving that perspective because that's the perspective now of the church. And I'm just saying this. If the Apostle Paul was in your church, would you want him to stick around in your church? I don't know. Pretty good at teaching Sunday school. He's writing the New Testament in time. You don't want to lose that guy. Talk about a guy you're going to mourn when he has to go to another church. You're going to feel bad about him. And yet they sacrificed to make sure that he was protected. Why? Because for him doing the right things, not only did he get praise from the church, from the outside world, he got persecution. Now, I doubt there's anyone in your small group who's under threat of death right now because they're standing up for Christ in their workplace, their community, their neighborhood, their family. But to stretch that word in a spectrum, in a category, let me just say this to you. You and I ought to be all about what these brothers were all about. Number four, you ought to be protecting the persecuted. Protect the persecuted. And you may not have anybody being almost martyred this week because of their faith, but I'll bet you got some people. Let's get back to the thermometer over, over people's heads. I want you to picture your small group right now. Your, your group that you overlap with in our church, and those are the people you do the Christian life with. Those are your brothers and sisters of Christ. And I want you to think, picture their faces. Put the thermometer over their head right now and say, okay, for doing the right thing, who's getting the most heat for that? Think about that. Who's getting the most heat for standing up for what is right in their family, in their extended family, at their workplace, 
in their industry, in their, in their neighborhood? Who is getting heat for doing the right thing? Here are the brothers who are willing to say, we want to protect you. Just like in Damascus, when they lowered him out of the window in the walls and said, listen, we want to protect you. That's what the church does. And we'd like to protect those that you know in the church that are being targeted because of their righteousness. Who is suffering for righteousness sake? I guess is my question. Do you know anybody? Well, it's not martyrdom. Well, great. If it's not martyrdom, what is it? Can you just say, okay, there is one face, two faces. Yeah, I can see the thermometer going up. I mean, it's over 98.6. They're getting some heat here. Can you now, because of this sermon, say, I need to do what the brothers did, and that is at whatever sacrifice I need to make, I want to, I want to protect them. How do you protect them? Well, it depends on what the problem is. Well, let's just start with the general frustrations we get because we're Christians in our workplace or whatever. Someone, I talked to someone last night, I mean, I, I can go on and on about people that I know in our church who are getting grief and guff for being a faithful Christian. And sometimes it's in their own home. And so I think you, as an interfacing person in their lives, ought to say, I'm going to stand with them. Barnabas Paracleo, it's a great word, he is the encourager. He comes alongside of. Now, there may be no advocation that you can do, no mediation you can do, but you can certainly text and write and go and have coffee and say, I'm standing with them when they're getting the heat turned up for being righteous. And you need to stand with them. It's hard for people to pack up their emotional backpacks, storm out of the church and say, I'm running away from this church, when they know that when the times are tough, the people in that church stand with them. And so you've got to say, that's got to be my commitment to protect the persecuted. It may be someone's lost a job. Think back to Barnabas. Barnabas, we meet Barnabas, liquidating real estate so he can meet the needs of people. And there may be a situation where you got an extra car, whatever, you should sell it, use that money, help someone in your small group who's lost their job, and you can legitimately, carefully, thoughtfully, strategically stand with them and protect them in that financial threat. Some of you have skills. Just like the guys that said, I got a basket and a rope, let's get him down and get him to safety. There may be some of you that have skills, career skills, where there are people that are suffering because of their Christianity. They stood up for righteousness. They're getting pushback. And you, maybe you're a paralegal or an attorney. Maybe they're getting sued because of their stand. For I'm thinking of names and faces right now in our church. And I'm thinking in that small group, I hope there are people. If it's not them, it's someone they know that's outside of the small group in our church that can say, listen, I, I can give you some legal advice. I can help you. I can step up and do something here. You could have a, a trade skill. You could be a plumber or you could be someone, an electrician. And here's someone because of their stand for Christ, they have not gotten the promotion. They've gotten, you know, unemployed, laid off. And you can say, well, I can, at least I can fix your plumbing problem for you. I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to pray with you while I'm there. And I'm going to be your advocate in the midst of your persecution. And just because of the direction of this text, I don't want to stretch this too far, but you don't want anyone to be in danger and there is a danger when you're outside the will of God. And there are some people you need to physically, just like Paul had to be physically released, you need to physically release people at great sacrifice to yourself because they, if they were to step out of God's will, would be in trouble. Case in point, we send off these groups to plant these churches all the time. And it's painful, right? I get it. Some of your best friends go, and every now and then we, send, we announce another, and another pastor's going, yeah, that was my favorite pastor, and I'm going to send another one. Right, right, right. Listen, can you say, 
just like the church of Jerusalem said, we're going to let Paul go. We'd much rather have him here. He'd be a great pastor on our team, right? He'd be a great preacher, a great theologian in our church. We're going to let him go because we don't want this person, in this case, like our church planning teams, to be outside the will of God. Can you stop moaning and complaining about it? Can you suck up your tears and say, I'm going to protect them from stepping off the road of God's will, which according to 1 Corinthians, as Paul would later say to them, you know, sometimes you're outside of the will of God. Some become weak, sick, and even die under the discipline of God when they're fighting the will of God. Why are you making it harder for people to do the will of God? Because you're not willing to release them. Well, tears, I get it. We're going to have some tears when our best friends and our tight ministry leaders and our pastoral team get sent off church after church. Why? Because we're committed to the Great Commission. We're committed to church planning. We're committed to repentance and faith. And I'm just saying this, part of protecting the persecuted in this case is I don't want them to be in peril. I know that's a stretch, but at least it makes me think of the direction of this text, leaving people down away from our church. Protect the persecuted. But in most cases, it's something else. It's a conflict. It's a social outcasting. It's a, being a comfort, being a financial aid to people in the midst of their trials. Verse 31, Luke's commentary. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee, down south, up north, Samaria, in between, this embattled middle part, had peace and was built up, was edified, was fortified, was strengthened. Walking in the fear of the Lord, godly, obedient people, doing the hard stuff, and in the comfort, there's our word, paraclesis, there's the noun form, right? Called in, this, they've had the thing called in alongside of them. What is it? Well, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, and then we're in step, as Paul would put it, to the, to the Galatians. And then it multiplied. Okay, all of those are great. I mean, that's a great snapshot. The church is really firing on all cylinders right now even though they just had to ship off Paul. But man, this is good. It's a good divine commentary on what's going on. And it's all stuff that Luke says, you just need to see this. And again, if you really get familiar with how Luke is narrating all this in, in, in the book of Acts, you get this sense of just how often he steps out and goes, here's a snapshot. And, here's a, and so many of them are just positive. He stops to celebrate the good seasons and the good things. And even in the midst of persecution, the good fruit that comes out of it. He celebrates the victories. And I'll tell you what, a church that does that, that's a lot harder church to pack up your emotional backpack and leave as well. Number, number five, let's put it this way. You need to celebrate the victories. Celebrate the victories. There are victories. There's five of them in this passage. And I bet there's some parallels to stuff in, in, in your church. Let's just look at them real quick. Peace. I mean, there are seasons that are hard and then we get through those hard seasons when there's a lot of conflict and then the conflict starts to kind of let up. And we're never going to be without conflict in the world. But there's a couple things that are happening here. Number one, you got Saul, who you're trying to protect because he's a great preacher now in Jerusalem, whereas before he was trying to kill you. So the pressure was a little bit off there. Tiberius, who was amenable to the, the Jewish population in Jerusalem, was now being replaced by Caligula, and there was now this pressure upon the Jews, and the Jews now had less emotional capital and hostility and angst to aim at the Christians, the sect of the way, so to speak. And so they were now fighting their battles with the Roman representatives. So there was relief there, right? You had a shift. So you had a little bit of the pressure was off. You felt a lot of pressure and a lot of persecution. And while it was still going to be there, and we'll see more of it, it was at least at this point, man, there was some peace. And that was good. And certainly there was peace in the church in the sense that when you had people misunderstanding the apostle Paul and where he stood with God, you got guys like Barnabas making peace. 
You got guys like Barnabas fixing misunderstandings. Peace in the church. I don't know. Is there anything in our church? Is there anything that in this season that you can step back, identify under the banner of peace and say, yeah, we've, we've had some victories of peace and we want to celebrate those. We've gotten through some hard times on a, on a multitude of layers and levels. We should identify it. We should celebrate it. What's the next one here? Edified, built up. Such a general statement, but I mean, I don't know. Is there anything that's stronger in the church now than it was before? Is there anything stronger in your small group now than it was before? Well, nothing in my small group. Well, when there is, note it and celebrate it. I don't know. Bring a cake, get off your diet for a day, celebrate and say, we should thank God for the good that's happening. We're out of this tough season and it feels like things are letting up. And over here, there's something good that has happened that has strengthened the church. Celebrate the victories. It's harder to leave a church that's doing a lot of celebration of the good things that are happening. And Luke periodically does that. And here's one here. Celebrate the victories. Celebrate the fortification, the building up of the church. Look at the next one in this list. The uh, fear of God. There's a million things you could look at, I'm sure, in the lives of the people that you know. Here is how they are fearing the Lord more than they're fearing the pushback. Whatever that is, celebrate it. Someone says they did something that, that they report on that you've been praying about in your small group, your subcongregation. Man, celebrate the fact that the fear of God and the obedience of the saints is happening. Whenever it happens, celebrate. Comfort by the Spirit. I don't know, those sometimes can be hard to quantify, but sometimes there are those seasons where people get through the difficulties. Sitting in some meetings recently, people say, I just, I felt that God just really, I'm getting through this, the peace in the midst of the storm. Let's celebrate that. And then, of course, we've talked about, Luke always likes to step back and talk, talk about the exponential multiplication of the people, right? We're about to have baptisms. I think it's next weekend, are we not? And, and we're going to get more testimonies on this platform in the two tanks, and they're going to give, those ought to be times where you celebrate. There ought to be a sense in which, yeah, we're going to celebrate. We're going to talk about that. You can go home talking about things you don't like and all the misunderstandings you have with people at the church, or you can talk about the things and celebrate the things that are victories among us. Peace, edification, fear of God, comforted by the Spirit, exponential growth, and so much of that discussion going on throughout this book. Thursday afternoon, I went to visit a 92-year-old member of Compass Bible Church. And as I sat there on the porch of her nursing home and we reminisced about things, she started to do some math and added up that we've been part of the same spiritual family for 32 years. And, you know, here I am having this conversation and recognizing this 92-year-old lady that, that I've been her pastor for over three decades. And I thought to myself, if nothing else, as I'm bouncing in and out of this passage, getting ready for the weekend, here's a gal that didn't run away, right? I mean, this, this is amazing. And, as, and just considering and doing kind of the proportional math here, that I became her pastor when I was in my 20s and she was in her 60s, she had a lot of reasons to find problems with me. I mean, there were plenty of things she could have said, I'm out of here. Uh, you can't do this. I mean, there's plenty, of, and I could have provided plenty of reasons for her. This, this, she has stuck with this thing through thick and thin and in our church family, in my ministry for, for 32 years. 
And as we talked about that and thought about just kind of reminiscing about things, I, I remember when her husband died and when there was a funeral there. And before that, I couldn't help but got back to the office and I looked up correspondence with her and her husband. And I thought about you know, going on our Israel trips and, and she being a part of that, a key part of that, really helped launch the first one and part of her work to make that happen. It was like, this, this gal is, my, is part of my family. And she's so shut in at this point, she can't get out. And she's sitting there with tears in her eyes, thinking about just what it's like not to be here with us and not being able to be here, but she watches and listens and all that. And I think to myself, that picture of kind of going through the thick and thin, think about how many highs and lows in the last three decades that she's been through, together with me and some of you that have been here for a long time. I mean, that just was something worth saying, well, there is a gal with plenty of reasons and several misunderstandings because she's no rollover kind of lady. Let me just say that. Matter of fact, before we left, we had a theological discussion about some things that were like, okay. And, and all I'm telling you is we work through it all. We work through it all. And I, I just think that is really what we need. Now, I know your jobs might take you and missions, you know, and calls of God. And you may not be here for the next 30 years. I get that. But I'm telling you, Barring those kinds of things, there should be a sense of security within your church family, that this is your church family. As imperfect as it is, we're working on it, ironing and scrubbing. Right? We want the wrinkles and spots to go away as much as possible. But we're willing to work through the misunderstandings. We want to continually affirm and honor the people in our church, which can't be the sole responsibility of the pastor, you understand. We're going to protect people when they're being persecuted, when they're being opposed, when the temperature goes up for them. We're there to stand with them through their trials and problems, including their sicknesses and being shut in in a nursing home. And when there's good things, we're going to celebrate them, just like we did. You should have seen the tears talking just about the new CBI work of, of this church. And I think there's a gal, we, we, we're not sitting complaining about the bad stuff that's going on that, that people don't like. That is what we need more. So I pray that God would ramp up in your heart the priority of your church family, knowing that unlike children who are too immature to appreciate what they have until they leave it, that we can right now, in the good old days of the present, say, I'm really grateful for being a part of my church family and being an active, highly committed participant here with all of its imperfections. We're going to celebrate, we're going to protect, we're going to honor, and we're going to fix when things are not as they should be. With that, I hope we'll be encouraged in the midst of some uh, interesting times outside the walls of the church. A great reminder of the important role of the church family. You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and the conclusion of a message called Saul, A New Family. To listen to the full-length version, please visit our website, focalpointradio.org, or download the Focal Point app on your device. You know, life is full of challenges, and if you're trying to live out your faith, you need the support of your Christian brothers and sisters. Here at Focal Point, we want to encourage you to stand strong by providing the straightforward, no-nonsense Bible teaching from Pastor Mike that you've come to rely on. 
And you can help us by providing the much-needed financial support we need to keep this ministry going. Help your fellow Christians have access to solid biblical teaching when you make a generous donation at focalpointradio.org or call 888-320-5885. And to show our gratitude for your gift today, we'll send you A.W. Tozer's excellent book, Men Who Met God, 12 Life-Changing Encounters. As you read, you'll discover that the scriptures are filled with ordinary people, like Saul, whose lives were changed by an encounter with God. This month, to go along with our series called Amazing Conversions, Pastor Mike has selected this helpful resource to highlight some of these stories of transformation. Men Who Met God is our special gift to you when you make a generous financial contribution to Focal Point. Call 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, you can reach us by mail when you write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, if you're praying for godly change to come to your community, then don't miss tomorrow's edition of Focal Point when Pastor Mike shares the remarkable story of transformation that occurred in the city of Lydda. I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Tuesday for Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.